0: Hey there. Welcome to LiveWire. I'm Luke Burbank. We are celebrating friendship on the show this week. Maybe you're coming off a recent Friendsgiving type of event. We're going to be talking to someone who knows all about the ups and downs of having friends, the writer Gary Steingart. His new book, Our Country Friends, tells the story of eight friends, one country house, and six months in isolation. It's already being called the Great American Pandemic Novel. Uh, We're also going to get some stand-up comedy from one of our friends, Atsuko Okatsuka. She was dangerously funny last time she was on the show. Then we're going to get some music from two friends who first met on the banks of the Mississippi River and then formed the banjo duo The Lowest Pair. So that is the plan. Thank you for being a friend and traveling down the road and back again. It's a journey that starts right after this. who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. How's it going? It's going real well. And I have got another round of station location identification examination for you. This is where I'm going to tell you about a place. You try to guess the place I'm talking about, okay? hmm We are going to be talking about friendship on the show this week. This city was named the number one friendliest city in America by Condé Nast Traveler. It was also originally called Pleasantburg until they changed the name in 1831.
1: Oh, well, that is uh, no other than a town I used to live in. And a town really close to where my mother lives now, Greenville, South Carolina. You
0: are 100% right. (laughs) Greenville, where we are on the air at WEPR, down there in South Carolina. I thought we could maybe sneak one by you, but you're too smart.
1: Greenville. I used to live in Greenville. I think EPR actually stands for Elena Passarella Radio, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe Elvis Presley.
0: If it didn't already, (laughs) it does now.
1: It's a wonderful town full of friendly people. That's totally true.
0: I love how quickly you got that. That's amazing. All right. Well, now that we know that we're on in Elena Passarello radio territory, should we go ahead and do the show?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: All right, take it away.
1: From PRX is Livewire. This week, writer Gary Steingart. I've
3: written about people I've known uh, before, and nobody ever guesses that they're that character. Because people (laughs) have no self-knowledge, you know? (laughs)
1: And
4: comedian, Atsuko Okatsuka. I would argue that getting married
1: is the childlike thing to do. With music from the lowest pair and our fabulous house band. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now, the host of Livewire, Lou. Hey, thank you so much, Elena
0: Passarello. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into the show this week. We've got a great one in store for you. We asked the Livewire listeners a question. On the topic of friendship, we asked, What's the kindest thing a friend has ever done for you? And we are going to hear those listener responses coming up a little later on in the show. First, though, we got to kick things off with the best news we heard all week. This right here, this is our little reminder at the top of the show that there is some good news happening out there in the world. Elena, what is the best news that you heard all week?
1: Well, I totally missed this, but I'm glad that I found it because it's particularly germane to sort of the theme of this week's episode. Just a couple weeks ago, on November 13th, it was World Kindness Day. Hmm. Wow. which is obviously this day that's observed by like 30 countries around the planet and sort of celebrates the uh, different ways in which kindness is actually like a very valuable component of a community.
0: And something that it seems is at times in short supply, depending yes. on, you know, the situation.
1: Yeah, but not so much at the University of British Columbia, where there is actually a person whose research centers around acts of kindness and how kindness sort of benefits not just the person receiving the kindness, but the kind person who engages in the act.
0: The person doing the kindness. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, it's a psychology professor named Elizabeth Dunn who has uh, just kind of in, she's in the preliminary stages of her research and she's already noticing a casual connection between generosity and happiness, What she's doing is all around campus, she's finding these little bitty things that people can do and then sort of asking them how they feel after they've committed these acts of kindness. So she gave uh, a bunch of people on campus like $15 or $20 and told half of them to go spend the money on themselves and half of them to spend it in a way that benefits other people. And they didn't really know why they were being told to do this, but they were interviewed when they had finished doing it. And there was a direct correlation in level of happiness and the amount of beneficence that they uh, use that money toward, which is pretty exciting. Yeah.
0: I mean, those famous evolutionary biologists, the Beatles, were right. The love you take is equal to the love you make.
1: Mm -hmm. And we'd all like to be under the sea in an octopus's garden.
0: That too. That's (laughs) their uh, marine biology research that they also got into. Right. (laughs) Hey, the best news that I saw this week involved Julia Hurricane Hawkins, Uh a retired Louisiana teacher who set the record in the 100-meter dash in the over 105 age bracket.
1: (laughs) A meter for every year of life.
0: (laughs) She ran it in one minute, two seconds. Okay. Uh, It was a slightly slower time than she had hoped for, she said. She was really wanting to break under one minute, but, I mean, she's 105, so... You know, she should be, I think, probably pretty proud of herself no matter what. There's actually been some back and forth with this record. She set the record in the 100 meter back in 2017. She actually ran it in 39 seconds then. Whoa. But then that was broken by a 100-year-old woman named Diane Friedman. Uh-oh. So the hurricane was not going to let that lie. No. So she came back and ran it. The good news is she's the only person ever in the 105 category. So... <laughs> Whatever amount of time it took her to finish, she was going to have the record, which she now has.
1: I bet you if I ran that thing, I'd probably come in at about a minute, too. And I'm uh, 60-something years younger than she is.
0: (laughs) I think that maybe the best part of this whole story is how not serious Julia Hawkins is taking this. Oh, no. (laughs) They had all these TV reporters go down there, including this one uh, fellow who definitely had a certain kind of story in mind of, you know, a triumph of the, of the spirit, and wanted a certain response from Hurricane, and she just really kind of wasn't doing it. Take a listen to Have this. Have you ever wanted to be a world record holder?
1: Not particularly. No.
0: <laughs> Are you impressed by
4: it? No, not particularly.
2: She
0: is just like, Get it. I'm out here, I'm doing my runs, I don't care about being a world record holder, I don't need the attention. When she was doing the post-race press conference, she literally said to the assembled media, one question per person, and that's it.
1: Well, I mean, she's got stuff to do. She's got meters to run.
0: (laughs) Yeah, she's training. She's an avid gardener. She doesn't have time for all this media attention. So the speedy ways of Hurricane Hawkins is the best thing that I saw all week. All right, let's welcome our first guest on Over to Live Wire. He was born in Leningrad, uh, but then he moved to Queens, New York, when he was seven years old. These days, he's the critically acclaimed and best-selling author of five books, including Super Sad True Love Story, Absurdistan, and The Russian Debutante's Handbook. His latest work, Our Country Friends, is already being called the Great American Pandemic Novel. And we were so excited to have him join us in front of a live, albeit Vaxed and masked audience in Portland earlier this month? Take a listen to this. It's Gary Steingart talking to us at the Alberta Rose Theater here on LiveWire.
3: Gary, welcome back Thank you, so good to be here I love
0: you, Portland (laughs) Well done uh, this book is getting a lot of praise, and it is, uh, like I said, Kirkus Review is saying it's the, the great pandemic novel. When did you actually start writing it? I started writing
3: it in March of 2020. Yeah, just as the pandemic was getting on. I was a few days in, and I was like, either I learn how to bake bread, which I'm really bad at, <laughs> I can barely make coffee, uh, or I write a pandemic novel.
0: And so you set out, I mean, you knew right away that you're going to set this in the current sort of moment of time.
3: Yeah, I mean, growing up in a failed superpower, I can smell another failed superpower from a mile away. And uh, so, yeah. I was thinking, you know, we had a certain president at that point, uh, plus the pandemic, everyone was dying, and I thought, yeah, this is sort of my, you know, my wheelhouse.
0: Uh, 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 The main character in this book is a writer who was uh, born in Russia Mm. and uh, has a house in the Hudson Valley of New York. Yeah. You're a writer who was born in Russia... Yeah. Uh, who has a house in the Hudson Valley of New York? I mean, that is a crazy coincidence
3: <laughs> You know write what you know is what my high school teacher taught me. Uh, I have no imagination whatsoever. <laughs> you know I can't write dune this is the moment <laughs> I don't know I don't know from sandworms uh, <laughs> This is all I can do, folks I-,
0: <laughs> I want that to be a blurb on your next book I don't know from sandworms Gary Stenger. <laughs> that could be the title.: yeah I, I don't know
3: from sandworms uh. <laughs>
0: Um, But but as I understand it, you were... So this book is is a a bunch of friends kind of get together during the pandemic at this country house, and uh, all kinds of stuff happens. And my understanding is you were kind of living in a version of this yourself. Like, you really had friends together staying with you or just visiting?
3: Um, I had a little pod of people. There's many writers who have fled from uh, places like Brooklyn and now live full-time in the mid-Hudson Valley. In fact, uh, I was at the DMV trying to get my license renewed, and this woman came out and said... No people from Brooklyn on this line. If you're from Brooklyn, go home. So there's a lot of anti-Brooklyn sentiment, which is great, again, because I'm from Manhattan, so it's fine. Uh, but I do have some friends, and we did form a pod, and it was very sweet. I realized how much I loved my friends, you know, and we really got to know each other much better, and my kid had playmates and stuff like that. So I have to say, the pandemic wasn't that awful for me. I, I know it was a tragedy in many
0: other parts of the world, including New York, which is just 100 miles to the south, but we did, we did okay. You're such an observant and funny writer. There's this kind of omniscient voice in this book that's kind of filling in the gaps of what people are really thinking. Mm -hmm. And it had me wondering if I was really your friend and I really would go hang out with you and then I read this book, if I would be devastated. Because like I know those thoughts. Everyone's having those thoughts all the time. I choose to just kind of black that out, you choose to emphasize it.
3: It's so funny you say that. I've written about people I've known uh, before, and nobody ever guesses that they're that character. Because people have no self-knowledge, you know. (laughs) To me, comedy is, I think I'm a giraffe, but I'm, I'm five foot five and more like an aardvark, but I, I think I'm a giraffe, you know, like those Jack Russell terriers that think they're giant dogs, etc. I once wrote a book called Absurdistan, which was about this 325-pound son of a Russian oligarch, and my friend at the time was this 325-pound son of a Russian oligarch, and one day in Manhattan, or was it London, one of those places oligarchs live, uh, I see him chasing after me, and I'm like, oh my God, he's going to kill me, and then he catches up, and he says, I just read Absurdistan,
0: who's that idiot? Misha in the book (laughs) and that's just how it is you know so your friends have not uh, called you and said am I this character in Our Country Friends.
3: No, but there's an actor, there's a very famous actor in the mm-hmm. book, super famous, so hot. Oh my God. Uh, I was like attracted to him as I was writing this. I was
0: like, this is. Yeah, you wrote him very beautifully. And very then the, beautiful. the women yeah. in the book notice it as well.
3: Notice it, and many of them uh, Act on uh, access it. Uh, access. <laughs> yes, he's a national treasure, so yeah. to speak. Uh, and during pandemic times, he has to help everyone out uh, with their fantasies. <laughs> this is a super hot book, folks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not telling you to buy it, but. <laughs> uh, what were we talking about? Oh, uh,
5: oh yeah, hot the actor. Yeah,
0: and because yeah. this actor is is this the character is kind of a lot, and they're mostly not even named in the book, like mm-hmm. their real name. They're called the actor. Can you now, for the first time on liveware say exactly who this person is?
3: Oh God, there's a lot of speculation. Just follow me on Twitter. There's a lot of speculation about. Wait, are it. you
0: using this to pump your Twitter account?
3: Absolutely. At Steingard, if you can spell it, you can access it. <laughs> <laughs> Even I don't know how to spell it. I have to do a spell check.
0: Um, you know, my phone yeah. now auto-corrects to your, the proper spelling of your name.
3: That's Oh, my God. So every time you're trying to write schmuck, it says Steingart yep. instead? <laughs>
0: That's exactly great. right.
3: It's great. I love it.
0: Who do people think the actor is? Or, or, well, I mean,
3: people guess. I've worked in, uh, with various actors. Uh, uh, James Franco was a student of mine. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a great video of me making out with him uh, for this cause. Uh, um, <laughs> who, who else was there? that didn't uh,
0: drive the, the Twitter numbers, I don't know what will.
3: Yeah. well, That really... <laughs> I have a, yes, that helped. Um, who else? Oh, Ben Stiller, I worked with. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal. So people are always guessing which one that is. But. Well,
0: you and Taylor Swift in the news this week regarding Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal.
3: I know. <laughs> yeah, Somebody wrote, it's the only inter- interaction between Steingardians and Swift boaters or whatever it's called. Swifties. Swifties, Swifties I think sorry. Swift boaters were the ones <laughs> that took down John Kerry. Oh <laughs> this seems I'm like so a good political. time to break. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh,
0: God. This is Live Wire. We're talking to Gary Steingard. His new book is Our Country Friends. We'll be back with more in just a moment. What we're Mm -hmm. here to talk about is you keeping LiveWire going. So head on over to LiveWireRadio.org to see the various member levels. It does not matter how much you are giving every month to LiveWire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. Welcome back to Live Wire from PRX. We're coming to you from the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon. I'm Luke Burbank, here with Elena Passarello. We're talking to Gary Steingart about his new book, Our Country Friends. Um, I have family that lived in Russia, and I know, like, dacha culture is a really big thing. But for people that are unfamiliar, can you kind of explain how that works and, and why that's sort of something you have brought over to the States with you?
3: Yeah, uh, and thank you for pronouncing dacha correctly. Uh, many people I know call it dachau, and Ooh. I'm like, that's no. a whole different thing. That's a yeah. different kind of camp. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yes, a dacha, tra- tra- sorry about that. Uh, a dacha traditionally in Russia is a small country house. It could be big, but most people, when I was growing up in Leningrad or in Moscow, you had a little, uh, it, it really just a tiny A frame usually with a tiny plot for potatoes and dill. And, and, and during tougher times, which in Russia is most times, uh, you often rely on that as a food source when there's no food anywhere else. Um, so we had a, when I was growing up in, in America, I didn't speak English real good. Uh, Uh, But we had, uh, and and kids always bullied me for being a Soviet kid. Also, I wore a giant furry hat all the time. (laughs) Um, which now is super hip, but I didn't know it then. Um, and so, and I didn't speak English, but in upstate in Ellenville, another part of uh, upstate, we had a little bungalow colony just for Russian kids. And that was so sweet, because we didn't make fun of each other. We all had the same accent. Uh, and little dachas, little uh, suburb homes. And so all my life, I wanted to spend most of my life, I wanted to move back upstate full time. That was my dream. And I'm almost there. I'm there about 60% of the time. But one day I'll leave New York, which, you
0: know, is just a collection of Walgreens at this point. And, <laughs>
3: yeah, and Chase Banks, there's really nothing going on,
0: you know. Um, in the book, the main uh, sort of characters who own the country house, they met at a kind of summer camp, the, the type you're describing.
3: Yeah, well, actually, a lot of the characters, yeah, two did, so the yeah. owners of it, yes, yeah. you're right, I'm sorry. Sasha and Masha are the two Russians, and their kid is Natasha. <laughs> the Russians have no imagination. So Sasha, Masha, and Natasha live in this house, but they're... <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's just so much fun to say. I know. It's, yeah, That's, it's all a joke. Um, there's even a character called D. Cameron, like the Decameron. The uh, and then there's the uh, three friends in the book uh, went to the same kind of math and science nerd mm-hmm. school that I did, uh, Stuyvesant High School in Manhattan. Uh, and so, yes, this book really is about friendship. I usually write about... Uh, people with horrifying immigrant parents, but this time, the, the children are in their 40s already, and they've already internalized the horror of their parents, so now they can be awful to one another instead of relying on their parents to provide all the fun.
0: Right, it's interesting because, like, Masha is sort of the outlier and that yeah. she actually had good parents, yes. and she's like, I basically, I refuse to apologize for having had decent parents. That's her shtick that's
3: that's throughout the whole <laughs> novel. She's like, I'm sorry I had good parents, and I'm a decent person, <laughs> you know, and screw all of you. And she's also a psychiatrist, which I think is, like, the highest form of good <laughs> I have like seven of them, so you know, <laughs> with a social worker pitching it every once in a while.
0: You're listening to Livewire from PRX. We're talking to Gary Steingart. His new book is Our Country Friends. Uh, this is not going to work for radio, but I'm very interested in the font that was chosen for the cover of the book. Is this papyrus? <laughs> it is... What's going on here? I don't know. You I don't, don't know to choose this?
3: Yeah, I, I, don't, yeah, I don't choose fonts. I don't know. All I know is Calibri or something. Uh. <laughs>
0: it's an interesting look to the book. It yeah. feels a little nostalgic to me. But yeah. like in a good way, it kind of takes me back maybe yeah. to a sort of 80s yeah. sort of vibe. Yeah, I think you're right. It's designed to evoke nostalgia. There's a,
3: uh, There's a wine glass in there with the wine less than half full, which I guess alludes to the mortality
0: we're all uh, facing. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But there is a kind of nostalgia. It's a very funny book I want to mention as well. Oh yeah,
3: sorry. uh, And did I mention the (laughs) hotness of the actor? Oof. uh. (laughs) Um, But going back to nostalgia, when I was writing this book, I felt very nostalgic because it was the pandemic. I was upstate mostly by myself. I was walking up and down this country road. And I started calling my friends who had been scattered all over the globe, Berlin, Los Angeles, all these different cities. And we started talking about, we started remembering things that we had all forgotten, like how when we were kids we used to lie at home with our princess phones or whatnot and we would watch the simpsons and then we talk on like a party line about everything that was happening on the simpsons oh that's so funny you know mo did this you know (laughs) it was such an innocent time and and all of that kind of stuff made it into the book that sense of "Ah, life was
0: better 40 years ago you know Mm. There's, not a, uh, there's really no elegant way to make this pivot, Gary. Oh, sh- I know it's coming. I know it's coming. You wrote an incredibly vivid essay in the New Yorker. Oh, boy. About your circumcision that happened when you were older than most people are for having a circumcision. Yeah,
3: I think in Judaism, eight days is the prescribed uh, snip snip date. And yours uh, was when? Seven years old. Yeah, so I know. Yeah, thank you, America. Good job, country. Um. <laughs> Yeah, as soon as I came here, my parents fell under the influence of some Chabadniks, followers of the Lubavitcher rabbi. They came in to our house and they said, hey, let's circumcise your kid. It'll be fun, you know. Uh, yeah, welcome to America And now. Uh, and the circumcision went, well, it's a New Yorker piece that you could read, but uh, it went very badly. And uh, in about four decades afterwards, uh, the pain, last year, the pain came back because of some thing that happened that I want to describe on radio, but... It's an unforgettable <laughs> piece yes. of writing. It's yes. unforgettable, yeah. I mean, it's bec- it started a kind of movement about circumcision, like uh, the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine just invited me to present my penis to them, which is oh, wow. Wow. That's hugely a real exciting, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're going to get the best, you know. Um, stuff like that's happening. Rabbis are writing in saying, maybe we're not going to prescribe this anymore, doctors. So it's been... Uh, it's, wow. been an, it's It's an article that made a little bit of change. I were
0: think. you... Did you have that as a sort of even faint hope when you wrote the piece? I was thinking that, so as I was researching the piece, I talked to
3: a lot of friends of mine, and I thought, am I the only person, you know, with a, you know, <laughs> America broke my penis, but it won't break my spirit kind of attitude.
0: Uh, That's the name of my forthcoming memoir. Yes, that should
3: be we the name the of your next. Yes, yeah, yeah. We uh, that with. font. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, We're going it's, with Comic it's,
0: Sans. It's yeah.
3: <laughs> Genital Sans, <laughs> or Sans Genital. <Yeah. laughs>
0: All right, show's over. That was great. Thank you. Thank you. We're yeah. not we're going to we're yeah. not going to beat that. Okay. We have yeah, to just I know. end the Mic show now. Mic drop, yeah, yeah. No, but, but in in some seriousness, it is obviously such a personal topic, and and you wrote about it in this very, very open, honest way. Were you uh, nervous about that, or how it was going to be received? Look, I mean, I think a lot of the men I talked to, who I've discovered tons of men with botched
3: circumcisions, and I think a lot of them don't want to talk about it because many are younger, still hoping one day to start a family, although many have failed in relationships, in part at least because mm. of what, what has happened to them. Uh, I am much older, I have a family, everyone's Nice you know and I'm fine with people knowing about my issues, but I know that a lot of men aren't uh, in just researching it with my group of maybe 20 friends, I discovered four men uh, who have had stuff happen to them so this is this is a this is one of the most unspoken about issues out there
0: I'd heard you in an interview saying that that while you were enduring this really bad pain, writing this book our Country Friends was kind of the one break from the pain?
3: It was the only break from the pain. And also, at this point, I don't want to give away too much to people who read it, but a character in this book undergoes terrible pain. And I had slotted that in before my own pain started. But when my pain started, I was like, oh, I know exactly what it's like. Mm. And also, he goes through all these hallucinations. And Hmm. the drugs I prescribed, I was hallucinating half the day. And there were maybe three hours in the day when I felt sane enough to write, and during those hours, I would just access all the things that had just happened to me. So from a writer's perspective, it was amazing. It was wow. like perfect material. I was suicidal, but <laughs> other than that, <laughs> l'chaim, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, we're glad to hear that uh, that you're yeah. feeling a little bit thank better you. because thank it thank sounds so like it was uh, extremely, extremely painful. Yes. Um, uh, we are talking to Gary Steingart here on a Live Wire as part of the Portland Book Festival this week. Uh, Gary, you have been on the program before, and so I think you know that when we have someone on the show, we like to try to really get to know them at their sort of deepest, the most core part of them. I feel like the conversation about your circumcision really yeah, took us there. I think so. Yeah. But we may be able to, uh, to go even deeper oh. into your mind with an exercise that we call the jar of truth. The kind of. Um, the sort of centerpiece of this book is friendship. Yeah. Um, it's obviously called Our Country, Friends. And it's a topic that you've written about uh, various places. And so we uh, have these questions in the jar of truth okay. that are about friendship. So uh-huh. here's what's going to happen. We're going to have you select a random question. Uh-huh. Elena Passerella will read the question to you about friendship. And we would like to get your honest answer.
1: Okay, is it possible, Gary, to refer to multiple people as your best friend?
3: Oh, yes. (laughs) I do that all the time. It's ridiculous. You know, like, I'll meet somebody, and they'll be talking with adoration about someone else. Oh, God, you know, the music of David Byrne. And I'd say, that's so funny. He's one of my best friends, really. (laughs) I met him once at a gallery. (laughs) And he nodded to me as he does, you know. So I thought, this is my best friend now. <laughs> I do it all the time, yeah. Well,
0: I could see how people would think they were your best friend because you are known to be great at writing blurbs for people's yes. books and mm-hmm. writing a lot yes. of them.
3: Yes, mm-hmm. uh, a documentary has been made about my blurbing. Yeah, Just it's on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, it's called Gary's Promiscuous Blurbing or something, yeah. <laughs> I've blurbed everyone, you know. Uh, I, I blurbed Molly Ringwald. I mean, wow. yeah.
5: One of your best friends. (laughs) One of my best friends. I met her at a party. (laughs) All right, one more more, more question of the jar of truth.
1: Okay. Uh. Okay, Gary. When your friend tells you sensitive information and asks you not to tell anyone, oh, this is such a good question, can you still tell your partner?
3: I don't tell my partner. I do tweet about it, though. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's different. I think when people ask you not to tell, it's you don't tell your partner, you tell your friends. But there's nothing about telling uh, Twitter. So at Steingart for all the latest information (laughs) on all of my friends, who apparently are very famous.
0: Occasional author and full-time Twitter self-promoter, Gary Steingart, everyone, right here on Live. Thank you. That was the always hilarious and trenchant Gary Steingart right here on LiveWire. His new book, Our Country Friends, is available now. Hey, special thanks this episode to Michael Campbell of Portland, Oregon. Michael is part of the LiveWire member community and is generously supporting our show with a donation each month, which is a huge deal because it's kind of how we're able to do the show. So Michael, thanks for keeping LiveWire going this week. This is LiveWire. As we like to do each week, we ask the listeners a question on the topic of friendship week, we asked, what's the kindest thing a friend has ever done for you? Elena, you've collected up some of those responses. Uh, what are some kindnesses that have been done for our listeners?
1: Oh, well, these are just all super sweet. Uh, and a lot of them come from our live show where people submit uh, text messages to our mm-hmm. live show hotline. So a lot of them are anonymous, like all this right. one.
0: But don't take them to be untrue.
1: Oh, just no. Just because
0: they don't have a name attached to them.
1: The details are vivid enough so that you know that they're totally real.
0: (laughs) Listen, you're a writer. You know this has the ring of truth.
1: That's right. A nonfiction writer. Uh, So how about this anonymously submitted act of kindness? The kindest thing a friend has done for me is keep my pet turtle company at my house. But I'm pretty sure she just wanted to use my HBO Max subscription. (laughs) But I love her anyway. Two things can be true. Turtles need to be taken care of. And maybe turtles love secession. So it's good for the turtle, too right
0: i am obsessed with a tiktok videos of like very large very old turtles eating sections of cactus there is a kind of asmr sound that is made <laughs> when a hungry turtle bites down with their big jaws onto specifically this certain kind of cactus that they feed these turtles that i watch it is so satisfying i love it if someone had that turtle at their house i would come over and feed it cactus for them while watching Succession on their HBO Max.
1: Uh, Because turtles live so long, you could do it for like the next 30 years.
0: Right, you've made a friend for life. Mm -hmm. All right, what's another kind thing that someone's friend did for them?
1: I think I understand why this one's anonymous. Mm -hmm. The kindest thing my friend has ever done for me is lend me urine for a drug test, (gasps) but we didn't pass.
0: (laughs) That seems like the kind of plan that is hatched Late the night before, uh-huh. someone has to report for a drug test, mm-hmm. and the person who is trying to help probably has great intentions, but has probably been smoking slash taking <laughs> the exact same thing as the person who's trying to pass the test.
1: Yeah, they're in the same same boat. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry about those test results, but hey, that doesn't diminish how kind... The it was really was. kind.
0: It's like, why didn't we realize that I would also <laughs> fail the test? Why? Because we were both sky high. That's probably why it didn't work out. All right. One more kind thing that one of our listeners had done for them by a friend.
1: Oh, this one is fabulous. It's from Janet. Janet says, my friend filled my fridge with food while I was at the hospital giving birth. Oh. I love that practice of when people are in times of positive or negative sort of amped up Eventfulness, you, mm-hmm. you make sure that they don't have to worry about where their next meal is coming from. You know, I have a friend who has a new baby and she's in the hospital with the baby. Everybody's doing good, but it's just going to take a little more time. And people have been sending her DoorDash so that mm-hmm. she doesn't have to eat hospital food for like two and a half weeks while she's in the NICU. Yeah.
0: That's like the new taking uh, kind of a casserole over. Yep, the now new casserole just, dish. <laughs> now it's just using your cell phone to send the person some kind of credits that will allow food to be delivered to their house. <laughs> All right, let's invite our next guest over to the show. She's a stand-up comedian who recently made her late-night debut on The Late Late Show with James Corden. She's also currently a cast member on the Stephen Colbert-produced animated series Fairview, which is coming out on Comedy Central. Also, and maybe critically, the last time she was on Livewire, <laughs> she told a story about making tongue contact with a stranger's dog. <laughs> and you were there, Elena. You saw I almost hurt myself laughing. I thought so you were going to need surgery. <laughs> I want to warn everyone that she is actually dangerously funny. Uh, Take a listen to this. It's our friend, Atsuko Okatsuka, performing in front of a live audience at the Alberta Rose Theatre earlier this month.
4: Good to see you again. Uh, Let me tell you, uh, you know, people think I'm mature uh, because I'm married, yeah. uh, But I would argue that getting married is the childlike thing to do. Yeah, yeah, because married people, what do we say? They say things like, I found my best friend. You know, that's very childlike. Just everything we own, split it in half. That way it's half and half. Yeah, we get to do everything together all the time. That's married people. It's very childlike. It's very childlike, yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, if you're single and having to date around, that's very adult. It's very adult, yeah, because when you're single and having to date around, you have to do things like get to places on time, okay? Yeah, you have to be interesting, okay? Yeah, you have to seem emotionally stable, especially when you're on a first date with someone, right? The stakes are high. Do you want to be alone forever? No, okay? So if any of you are single and having to date around, I commend you. I commend, you're way more adult than the married couple. Yeah, because back to the married couple, we're still saying saying things like, we're going to be together forever and ever, till death do us part. How do we know? Because these rings said so. It's very childlike. It's very childlike. I am a child. Yeah. Uh, There comes a point in a marriage when, you know, you become each other's family. You know, you do. You become each other's family. It's inevitable. You know? Uh, But you're still sleeping with each other. You know? Yeah. That is, if you can, get over that mind fudge. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Because people are always like, yeah, me and my husband, we don't sleep with each other anymore. You know? And it's like, well, maybe it's because he calls you mom. I I would stop too, I would stop too. It's hard, it's hard, you know, that line, it's so hard. Because my husband, when he gets groceries, uh, we do this thing where he brings back a surprise treat that's not on the grocery list and it's what I look forward to every week. Yeah, and it's very sweet and very cute, but uh, that is also how our relationship turned into a father-daughter one. It's hard, it's hard. Romantic partners turn family, you know? Yeah, still sleeping with each other. Yeah. And uh, I I like synchronized choreographed dances with other people uh, because I was a cheerleader in high school and that part of me just never left, you know? Yeah, yeah, I I hate it when people do their own dances on the dance floor, no. I think we should always, always be synchronized. Always synchronized, yeah, it's more beautiful that way, right, just everyone telling the same story, you know? Yeah, always, always, yeah, yeah. And so I got to a point where I started teaching my husband these choreographed dance moves so we could shoot it and put it online, you know? Yeah, and I would make him match with me, wear the same clothes, same hair, everything, you know? And at one point, my husband broke down and cried. Yeah, because I was being a terror, you know? Yeah. He was crying. He said, I hate doing these dances with you. I don't want to do these with you anymore because you always want to make us look like we're sisters. <laughs> and he's right. He's right. He's right. It's messed up, so I stopped making him do it. Yeah, it's right. he's right because he's not my sister. No, he's my father. <laughs> Y'all are sick. (laughs) It's on you. It's a tango, you know, it takes two. It's great to be here, though. It really is. It's great to be performing again, you know, because during the pandemic, I I really almost lost myself, you know, I I really almost did. Uh, Like, I really thought that I was going to start planting lettuce. And then my husband had to remind me that that's not my personality. Yeah, he stopped me. He was like, stop, stop. Uh, that's someone else's interest. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my God. It is. This is not my interest, you know? Yeah, but I already had the lettuce ready, so I dropped it. You know, he was like, stop. What do you think you're doing? I was like, you're right. I'm not a farmer. (laughs) It was beautiful. It was beautiful. He saved me a lot of time. Yeah, possibly yours, right? From living out someone else's identity. Yeah, it was beautiful. And you might be like, well, Atsuko, like, what are your interests, you know, if it's not farming, you know? Uh, what are your interests? And it's like, I don't think I particularly have any. But, like, that's also a personality, too. You know, it is, it is. And that should be empowering. Yeah, that should be empowering. Yeah, if you're like, I also don't have hobbies or interests, that's okay. That's okay, you're still a whole person. Yeah, because what are we, we're all gonna make sourdough? Oh, we're all gonna make sourdough? We can't all be bakers. No, someone's gotta be the buyer. And I'm just saying, that's me, you know? Yeah. All right, Portland, I'm going to get real, real, okay? And I'll skedaddle, okay? Uh, So this is what I'm really going through. This is what I'm really going through, okay? Uh, The other day, I was looking through old family photos uh, when I was hit with this dark realization that uh, my father and I have the same body. (laughs) it was a long night very lonely night you know just flipping through oh my god in his 20s and 30s me and him same body same body yeah and my husband he's so sweet he always tells me god you have such a hot bod you know and then he always asks how'd you get such a hot bod and now i know now i know yeah But I don't think I have it in me to tell him yet, you know. Uh, Yeah, I figure he'll find out sooner or later, you know, when the pandemic's really over. And uh, we go to Bali to visit my father where he lives. And uh, we go to the beach. And uh, we're all in our bathing suits. And at some point, my father and I will stand right next to each other, (laughs) overlooking the ocean, you know, with our hot bods. And my husband will look over at us and he'll be like, wait. And I'll be like, it's weird for me too. It's weird for me too. And it is weird for me, Portland, it is. For me to find this out after all these years, okay? To know that all this time, my dad too would have looked good in a belly button ring. All those wasted moments where we could have been wearing matching crop tops, showing off our sleek waistline that we apparently share. Okay, it's messed up. I don't like it. It's messed up. But I should have known. I should have known. Because one time my dad did get cold, so he, I let him borrow my jacket. And that's when I was like, oh my God, you also look good in free people. I should have known. I should have known. But I like to look at the brighter side of things. You know, knowing this, not so great, yeah? But uh, I was like, well now, my dad and I could swap clothes. <laughs> right? I could wear his hand-me-downs. And uh, this next part is where it gets dicey, but only because I'm unsure of the punchline. So if you guys can stay with me. Will you stay with me? Yeah. Okay, you'll stay with me? Okay. Okay, okay, I'll go back a little. Okay. But I like to look at the brighter side of things. You know, I was like, well now my dad and I could swap clothes. I could wear his hand-me-downs. And uh, it's not every day that people can say that they inherited their dad's literal genes. Yes, no, hey, you said you would stay with me. I said stay with me, I said I was unsure. Because I'll ask you this, I'll ask you this, what makes a joke a dad joke anyway? You know what, you guys ask me, okay, what makes a joke a dad joke anyway? What makes a joke a dad joke anyway? Oh, uh, I guess it's when <laughs> <laughs> it becomes apparent.
0: <laughs> Otsuko, Okotska. That was Otsko Okatsuka right here on Livewire. She is heading back out on tour, and you are not going to want to miss it. Uh, You can get your tickets at OtskoLive.com. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarella. We've got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere because we've got much, much more in store in just a few. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. And they make one-of-a-kind kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream earl gray. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to Live Wire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Our musical guest this week met on the banks of the Mississippi River, and they have been touring the U.S. ever since. They've racked up over 500 shows across the country from my old hometown of Bellingham, Washington, to Bangor, Maine. Uh, they've also released four albums of original work, including their latest 2020's A Perfect Plan, which No Depression Magazine calls a perfect album for this moment. Take a listen to this. It's the lowest pair performing at the Alberta Rose Theater right here on Live Live. Hey Hey there, Kendall and Palmer. Welcome back to the program. Howdy. Um, We've missed you. Uh, Kendall, sounds like you've been staying busy though. You went to the South Pole to work (laughs) at a research station, but also you ran a marathon at the South Pole.
1: Yeah, I did. Um, Yeah, I like I run a lot anyway, and I was there, and there was a marathon, and I thought, well, here's my one chance to run a marathon in Antarctica. I
0: don't want to tell you how to tell your story, Kendall, but I feel like you're leaving (laughs) out some pretty important details. It was minus 36 degrees, and you set a new record time?
1: Uh, For women, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible. I haven't really figured out how to talk about it yet. Apparently, <laughs> it's also ten thousand feet elevation, so it's a. Uh, they got to make that
0: place so inhospitable.
1: They make it really challenging to live there. Yeah. Palmer, what
0: what have you been doing since we last saw you? <laughs> uh, started rewatching Game of Thrones.
5: For,
0: uh... <laughs> that is the more relatable way to spend a, a pandemic. Uh, well, what song are we going to hear?
1: Uh, we're going to do a new song. It's called Mount Rainier.
0: Okay. This is the lowest pair on Livewire. That is the lowest pair right here on Livewire. Their album, A Perfect Plan, is available now. Thank you so much. All right, before we get out of here this week, a little preview of next week's show. We are going to be solving some mysteries. First, we're going to be talking to Roman Mars and Kirk Colstead from the 99% Invisible podcast. Of course, they are experts at telling the surprisingly fascinating stories behind things like uh, drinking fountains and power grids. Uh, Then we're going to talk to Shayla Lawson. Uh, She is a writer who's going to shed some light on the magic and power of black girls that she celebrates in her fantastic essay collection, This Is Major, Notes on Diana Ross, Dark Girls, and Being Dope. And in case you were ever wondering what happened to that great Australian new wave band, Men at Work, you're going to get to hear for yourself. The band's talented and extremely beloved lead singer Colin Hay is going to stop by as well to play us a song. And per usual, we're going to be looking to get your answers to our listener question. Elena, what are we asking the Livewire listeners for next week's show?
1: Tell us about a mystery that you can't seem to solve. Boom, boom, boom. Where do I
0: start? <laughs> All right. If you have an answer to that question, you can submit your answer via Twitter or Facebook. We are at Radio. That's going to do it for this episode of the show. A huge thanks to our guests, Gary Steingart, Atsuko Okatsuka, and the lowest pair. LiveWire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines.
1: Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Tim Harkins is our production director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sapchenko. Our assistant editor is Trey Hester. And Stephanie Moore is our social media manager. Our house band this week was Ethan Fox Tucker, Ayal Alves, Eric Clampett, and Alex Radakovich. A Walker Spring composes our music. Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixer. And our house sound is by D. Neal Blake.
0: Additional funding provided by the Oregon Cultural Trust and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. LiveWire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we'd like to thank member Michael Campbell of Portland, Oregon. For more information about our show or how you can catch our podcast, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole LiveWire crew. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with, with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many... Many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review. Feel free to say really nice things about us. And uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of LiveWire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show. And then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much. If you've left a review and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.